0: My name is Stephen Rice. If we haven't met, I am the director of the Salt Company, which is the college ministry here at Salt Church. And if you are a college student, know that, man, we, uh, we are here at a part of a local church, and we desire to help you take your next step with Jesus. And uh, a great way to do that is to get connected with other college students and find community. And so, man, come check out more about Salt Company. We'd love to to talk about you, talk about you, talk with you. Me and my wife moved here about, what, three years ago? And ever since then, we have been a part of this family called Salt Church. And what a fun morning it is to gather as a family and to just continually invite people into this family of kind of hodgepodge people who are pursuing Jesus here in Gainesville together as a community. And so welcome, this is your first time, and jump into this family, and we are, are grateful you're here. We are going through as a church through the summer, uh, a book called Exodus. And so if you've got a Bible, go ahead and flip open to Exodus. We're going to be in chapter 19. And what chapter 19 does is kind of serves as a bridge from the first part of the book to the second half of the book. And the first part is all about God taking the people out of Israel. And this next part is going to be, what does it look like to actually have relationship with this God who who rescues? And so uh, Exodus chapter 19 is we're going to be is where we're going to be this morning. I want to ask you this as we get started. Have you ever had a a mountaintop moment? Have you ever had a moment, like, in your life that you will never forget as long as you live? Like, maybe for you, like, the pinnacle of this mountaintop was, like, meeting a celebrity. You're like, this is, how could it ever be greater than meeting, like, a mediocre TikTok star? You're like, mind blown. Or maybe it was the the day that you got married, like this is the mountaintop moment. And then you come down the mountain. (laughs) That's like, (laughs) just kidding. It's it's always a mountaintop, babe. Love you. This moment that sticks out, maybe, maybe for you is like, uh, going on a trip to this place that you've always dreamed of visiting and seeing the natural wonder and experiencing its greatness. And it's just left you speechless and you are marked by this this moment, this, this experience, this mountaintop moment. A moment where you encountered greatness. I had one of these moments when I was uh, a freshman in college. And it was terrible. Here's what I mean it was a literal mountaintop moment. It's 4th of July weekend. What, what do people normally do like on breaks when they have time off? They go to what? They go to the beach, right? Most people are like, hey, it's, it's a nice break. I'm going to head to the beach. It's going to be great. Well, my friends over break one year, we're like, we're not going to do what everyone else says. We're not going to go to the beach. We're going to go to the mountains. It's a terrible mistake. I'm from Florida. I don't I don't know how to navigate mountains. Anyways, we decided we're not going to go to the beach. We're going to go to Tennessee. And we were vastly unprepared for what was about to happen. We, Our buddy had a boat. We actually ended up taking a boat across this massive lake into this remote kind of like forest where we, from there, could then backpack up this mountain and in Tennessee. And What we forgot to do as we prepared for this incredible trip, it's going to be great. We're going to sleep in hammocks. We're going to just do all the fun things in the backpack. One thing that we forgot to do was check the weather. We didn't have any cell phone service once we got there. So, well, ball's already rolling. Here we go. We're hiking up this mountain, six of us dudes. And I, I, like, we can't find the trail to start, so it's already chaotic. Finally, we're, we're going up the trail. And I do not kid you. Maybe an hour into a really long hike, we hear thunder and we begin to feel rain. Well, we can't turn back because the guy who was supposed to like meet us at the trail, like he doesn't have our he's just gonna pick us up tomorrow. So we have we have no choice but to keep going. And as we keep going, the thunder gets louder, the lightning gets more lightningy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and we keep going up, and we see people hunkered down, like prepared. And we're like, we don't have a, can- we got to keep going until we can find a safe place. Well, the rain quickly turned to hail. First, small pieces. Ding, ding, ding. Well, it's not thinking. It's, the, it's just you just feel it. Okay, it's, it's falling down, and we're like, we got, we got to keep going. We get there, lightning, hail. It, it even begins to like little like snuff. Like I'm telling you, it was terrible. So what do we do? We're like, we got to just set up camp. We brought hammocks to sleep in. <laughs> Only one person on this six-person trip brought a tent. And it was for one and a half persons. <laughs> And it is just beginning to pour down rain. So what do we do? We just all pile into this tent, this one to two, one and a half person tent. Like it was like not, it was like supposedly bigger than a one person tent, but no way. Six guys pile into this maybe two person tent. And we forgot to put over the rain fly. We didn't check the outside of it. And as we're laying in there all cozy, it begins to, we be like, are you, what in the world? Our tent begins to leak. We then become soaked in a matter of minutes. So we're drenched in water, sitting, shivering in a tent with lightning all around us. We are like, at one point, I just remember it being silent. And we were like, what have we done? We were a little bit terrified, a little bit annoyed. But we were experiencing, yes, the greatness, but the greatness of like mother nature in all of its power and it was not a like a joyous experience it was a terrifying experience israel is going to have a moment similar to this in exodus chapter 19 where they get to experience the greatness of god but the greatness of god isn't just a walk in a park and they're going to experience something on this mountain That will change them forever. So let's read Exodus chapter 19. Starting in verse 1. And if you're new to the book of Exodus, you'll catch up because it gives us a nice little summary in the first couple of verses. So here we go. We're going to begin in Exodus 19. It says this in verse 1. In the third day, or in the third month from the very day the Israelites left the land of Egypt, where they were enslaved, they came to the Sinai wilderness, the wilderness outside of this mountain range. They traveled from Rephidim, came to the Sinai wilderness, and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Verse 3, then Moses went up to the mountain to God. This is the same mountain where God spoke to to Moses from the burning bush. This is where he said he would bring them, and now they're here. He went up to, to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. This is what you may say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you out on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. We know what he's talking about here. God, in his strength and power, said he was going to rescue Israelites from being enslaved by this nation of Egypt where they formerly lived, and then they ended up enslaving them and dealing harshly with them, even committing genocide to the Jewish children. It was terrible. It was the worst situation you could ever dream of. But God rescued them out of the land of Egypt with his power by sending plagues and Pharaoh cast them out, and then they walked through the the parted Red Sea, and the sea collapsed on Egypt. It's this magnificent rescue scene, and God is saying, I carried you out on wings of eagles. I did all of the work. I rescued you by myself, nothing that you could have ever done. I have brought you into this new land. And now, after this great rescue, we see what God has actually rescued them for. This is why God rescued them. Verse 5. Now, after I've rescued you now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words you are to say to the Israelites. So we have seen that God has rescued them, and now God has rescued them, and now he's showing them exactly why and giving them actually a chance, a covenant relationship where they can enter into with God and be his people. God God tells them two things, that if they obey, if they carefully listen, and, and the word carefully listen in Hebrew, it's basically just the word listen twice. If you, if you listen, and in a Hebrew, listening is the same as obeying. Mom, do you wish that that was true of your kids, that listening was the same as obeying? He's saying, if you shema, if you listen to my covenant, this is what will happen for you. If you just obey me as your God, your king, this is what will happen. Gives them two things. He says, they will be their special possession And they are given a specific purpose. So let's look at the first one. God says they'll be their special possession. The the language here uh, that it's using is like, if the king owned all the land. It's all all his. But he's got like in his room, tucked away in like his dress or his drawer, like his most like prized possession that he hid away. I was thinking about asking, like, what do you keep in your bedroom drawer? But that sounds weird. And I honestly don't want to know. (laughs) But like, what do you do with a prized possession? Something that you treasure. Keep it tucked away. You keep it safe. You protect it. Hidden for what? For you to enjoy. What God is promising to Israel, if they obey him, And stay faithful to him, that they will be a a close-knit relationship to him, where God will provide for them, that he will protect them, and they will be an intimate relationship with God. Second thing is that they are given a specific purpose. Verse 6, he says this: So if you listen to me, if you Shema, if you carefully listen, you will be my what? Kingdom of priests and holy nations, a kingdom of priests. Now, many of you, when you were little growing up, you, you, when you thought about what you wanted to be when you grew up, not many of you probably were like, you know what? I want to be a priest. That's just, that's probably true. I don't think when I was a kid, I was like, oh, I want to be a firefighter. Look at me now. God said, what is a kingdom of priests? Is he thinking like, oh man, like our image of priest? No, this is is what a priest was in, in the biblical time. It was someone who had special authority and access to God, that they themselves were set apart to have access to God and with the special purpose of allowing others to have access to God. They were like an intercessor for God. They were set apart so that others could have access to God. They would, through the priest, who would make sacrifices and rituals so that they they could relate to this holy God. And what God is saying is, if you obey me, you all will be a kingdom of priests. You will be a holy nation. Now, holy, what does that word mean? A holy nation. A lot of you, if you've grown up in church, you probably heard the word holy maybe you sing this at christmas maybe holy is the word that you say when you see a cockroach accompanied by another word you don't want your kids to repeat you know what does what does holy mean holy literally just means set apart it means uniquely unique like completely different uncategorically different than anything you you can even de- define or describe. It is set apart from everything else. And so what God is saying is, you will be, if you follow me, you will be set apart as a nation with the purpose of, yes, having access to God, but allowing for everyone else in the world to see and have access to the blessing that is the relationship with God. What God is doing is reminding Israel of their identity. Yes, it's his prized possession, but he's also reminding them of their powerful purpose. The purpose behind their rescue was, yes, to have relationship with God, but this was God's grand plan in redeeming all of the world, that through their relationship with God, all of the nations around would be blessed through them And would point to them how they could have a relationship with the one true God, Yahweh, the rescuer. They were supposed to be a holy nation, set apart, to be priests, so people could have access to God. This was the ultimate purpose of God's rescues, to redeem the whole world. And this is God's offer to them. This is their invitation. Come to me. If you come, listen to me, enter into a relationship, a covenant with me, this is what you'll be. So what does Israel do? This is the offer that's on the table. Do they take it? They say, yeah, that sounds great. Reading verse seven. This is what happens. God offers this invitation to them. If you now carefully listen to me. Verse seven, this is what happens. After Moses came back, he summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him. Verse eight, then all the people responded together. All in in unison and harmony, they said this. We will do all that the Lord has spoken. So Moses brought the people's words back to the Lord. What do they say? We will do it. Sign us up. Prized possession, purpose in the world, check, deal. We'll do it. You say it. We'll do it, God. We will do all that you speak to us. I love how they didn't even say, oh yeah, we'll try to do that. It's like, yeah, we, that's what's going to happen. We will do all that you have spoken to us, God. Like we, we nailed, like follow the leader out of Egypt. We crushed that assignment. How much harder can it be? Like you say something, we do it. We follow you. That sounds good. Anything you tell us, anything you speak to us, we'll do it all. Here's what I I believe is happening though for Israel and something that far too often happens to us. Israel is underestimating God's standard for holiness and they're overestimating their ability to keep it. And this is what all people throughout all history do. That's what the Bible shows us. This is what in the middle of your book, all the prophets are speaking to the nation of Israel and they're saying what? that they're living holy, perfect lives before God. No, they're calling them to repent, that their their fake outward holiness actually isn't pleasing to God and inwardly they are corrupt. They have overestimated their ability to be holy and underestimated God's standard for holiness. This is what Jesus came when he was rebuking the Pharisees in the New Testament. He tells them, you have vastly overestimated your ability to be righteous and underestimated God's standard for righteousness. It's what we did on that mountain. (laughs) We overestimated our ability to do something and underestimated how hard it was going to be. We often are like this. But Israel is about to have an encounter with God where they say, yes, we will do it. And in their underestimating exactly what he means by holy and overestimating what they think of as holy, they're about to have an encounter with the true holy God, with exactly who God is. And I wonder in this room if some of you in this room actually haven't had an encounter with the God we're about to describe. Well, Let's see. What does a mountaintop moment look like for Israel where they are changed forever? Verse 9, this is the mountaintop moment of God's greatness where they're about to experience it. Verse 9, the Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear when I speak with you and will always believe you. Moses reported the, the people's words to the Lord. And the Lord told Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. They must wash their clothes and be prepared on the third day for the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Verse 12, put boundaries for the Lord all around the mountain and say, be careful that you don't go up on the mountain or touch its base. Anyone who touches the mountain must be put to death. No hand may touch him. Instead, he will be stoned or shot with arrows and not live, whether animal or human. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, then they may go up the mountain. Then Moses came down from the mountain after God's instructions to the people and consecrated them and washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be prepared on the third day and do not have sexual relations with women. They are about to experience God's greatness but they need to prepare before it. So God gives Moses instructions that they need to be prepared to experience the greatness of God. You don't just walk into the greatness of God. There is preparation that's needed to meet a holy God. And we see what this preparation looks like. And it's pretty intense. Can we agree? Like we read this and we're like, we don't just like nod and be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like we're like, oh, geez, that's pretty intense. Verse 10, the people need consecrating. Purifying, which means any impurity from themselves in, in in their hearts and also externally, they have to wash their clothes for two days. This is a two-day intensive pressure washing shower. Like some of you get ready before a date because you want to impress the girl. It's like that takes what 15 minutes and a like a spray of axe for some of you freshmen? That's gross. Put it away. It doesn't smell good. They wash themselves for two days in preparation for God to come. And then Moses tells us in preparation, hey, there are intentional boundaries that you need because if anyone touches the mountain, they will be put to death. It's pretty intense. You cross the line. Yeah, it's not a slap on the wrist. It's sudden death. Can we agree this is a little intense? But could it be that the reason I feel that it's intense is that I'm overestimating my holiness and underestimating God's holiness? The fact that I'm like, God, yeah, man, chill. Like, just a line, and I, if I cross it, I die? Could it be that I am far worse of a sinner than I could ever imagine, and God is far holier than I could ever imagine? We're about to see God's presence Enter onto this mountain. He is going to come down and fill the mountain with his presence and encounter his greatness. And it took preparation. But now he comes, and it's not a little intense, and it's a lot of intense. Look at verse 16. This is what God's presence is like. Verse 16. On the third day, when the morning came, there was thunder and lightning. And a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet sound, so that all the people in the camp what, shuddered. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. Here they come. They're about to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain, at a distance. And Mount Sinai, an entire mountain, was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord came down on it in fire. Fire slams on the mountain, smoke rises. Its smoke went up, the rest of verse 18, went up like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain shook violently. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder and louder, Moses spoke God, and God would answer through the thunder. His very voice was thunderous. I experienced kind of a great moment on a mountain that was pretty incredible, chaotic. It was nothing like this. This is intense. When God's presence fully came down on a mountain, what did it bring? Lightning, thunder, smoke the blasts of horns from heaven, an earthquake. There was no question of when God entered the room that everything changed. There was no questioning his power at this moment. And what was the response of the people? It says, all the people in the camp shuddered. They were shaken to the core. No one stood confidently in the presence of an almighty, holy God. They shuddered in silence, not moving a muscle. This, was a, this is what it was like for Israel to have a mountaintop moment with God. It makes me ask a question as I read this this is God, right? Like, this is the God that we believe in, this is who God is. Have I had a moment with God like this? Have I had a mountaintop moment with this God? Have you had a moment like this, a mountaintop moment with God? Because if you have, I wonder if you've truly encountered the God of the universe. Here's what I mean by this. Three things that I think make up a mountaintop moment with God. Three things that I think are involved in experiencing and encountering God's greatness. Three things. First is this, we see him as holy. Second is this, we see ourselves as unholy. And lastly, we see his love for us. So first, to have a mountaintop moment with God, one, we see him as holy. We see lightning Clouds, fire, thunder. And all throughout Scripture, when you read the Bible, when people enter into the presence of God, this is what it's like it's shuddering, it's shaken. It's Isaiah 6 when he experiences God in the throne and says, Woe, woe is me, a man of unclean lips. It's when John has a revelation about God in all of his, uh, as he's bringing all things together in him at the end times. He falls to his knees. It's Peter on the boat with Jesus when he knows who Jesus is and all of his greatness and he falls and says, get away from me, I am a sinner. This is what it looks like to experience a holy God. We see God as holy, which means what? Set apart. It's different, uniquely unique. We see God in all of His greatness, and we know that we have never seen anything like that. We have never come into the presence of something like that. When we bask in the glory and awe of the God who created all of the thing, all of the world, and just spoke it into being, and now we are coming in contact with this God, we see Him as holy, and maybe you've experienced this. I remember experiencing this, not in cloud and smoke and thunder and lightning, but I remember as a kid sitting in church, and as the preacher preached, I, I didn't know how to explain it, but as he spoke about God, I, I began to see God for who he truly was, as the scriptures defined it, as it as it told me, as it described as holy and perfect God who, yes, created all things. And I remember sitting there with my hand, head in my hands going, I, I don't even want to look up because I, I feel like I'm in the presence of God. Experiencing God as holy is set apart as something so unlike us. And and when you do that, it leads us to our second Our second thing in encountering a mountaintop moment, which is this, first viewing God as holy and second is this, viewing us as unholy. We see ourselves as unholy. When Israel encountered the greatness of God, they were aware of their littleness and God's bigness. Did you notice they weren't sprinting up the mountain? They were keeping a distance. These boundaries that may have seemed a little intense now well, they're 20 feet behind that boundary. They're like, yeah, we, we can't get far enough away from this. And if you skip ahead in chapter 20 in verse 8, and I'm stealing this from Paul's passage next week. Sorry, Paul. It says this. Verse 8, it's kind of looking back. It's giving a, a, a more in depth experience of what they're experiencing. Verse 8 of 20, it says this And all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning and the sound of the ram's horn and the mountains surrounded by smoke. And when they saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. And they tell Moses, verse 19, You speak to us and we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us or we will die. I love how R.C. Sproul, an old uh, dead dude now, he's a theologian, he's great, says this, when we understand the character of God, when we grasp, grasp something of his holiness, then we begin to understand the radical character of our sin and hopelessness. When we grasp something of his holiness, we grasp our unholiness. Another old theologian said it like this. And I like this. It's kind of fancy language, but it says this. Holy men were struck and overwhelmed whenever they beheld the presence of God. And when we see those who previously stood firm and secure so quaking with terror that the fear of death takes hold of them, nay, they are in a manner swallowed up and annihilated, The inference to be drawn is that men are never duly touched and impressed with a conviction of their insignificance until they have contrasted themselves with the majesty of God. We don't truly grasp our insignificance until we grasp God's significance. This is a mountaintop moment with God, and all of the people of Israel see that they are completely unlike him. That he is holy, powerful, set apart, and they are unholy, broken, sinful, often faithless, unworthy to be in his presence. And this is what it takes to have a mountaintop moment in God. Anytime God has moved in an individual or in a community great moments of renewal and revival and awakening when God begins to move on campuses. This is where it starts. People seeing God as holy and seeing themselves as unholy. But it has to lead to the third experience of a mountaintop moment. Seeing God as holy, seeing us as unholy, but in us seeing ourselves as unholy, We come to the realization and see how God loves unholy people. We see a holy God loving an unholy people. And this is what it takes for a mountaintop moment. See, in this passage, we see a great display of God's greatness, but we also see a display of God's great grace. Let me me try to prove it to you. God's grace in the Bible is all over the place, not just in the New Testament with Jesus. It's right here in this passage. Look at this. The, the boundaries that God set up and says, do not cross or you will die. First, we can see rules or we can see, oh, this is God's loving provision to keep them at a distance, to still experience his greatness and not perish from it. It is God's loving kindness to Keep them at a distance. The dense cloud that he says to come down in. Why did he come down in a dense cloud that you can barely see through? It's because if they were to see God's glory face to face, they would all die. God knew the unholy state that they were in and the holiness that his presence brings. So God creates a dense cloud. So that through the cloud, they can still see and feel God's greatness without being uh, so uh, aware of their unholiness that they perish. This is what happens when Moses asks to see God's face. And, and God is like, no, if you see my face, you're going to die. I'll let you see the, like my backside, my cloak. My goodness will pass from you. This is God's... Not unlovingness. This is God loving us. And lastly, and, and, and most profoundly, I think, that gives us a picture of how God loves unholy people is that God uses a mediator. God uses someone special to speak from God to relate to the people. See, God so provide someone to speak on their behalf. And as they are shuddering on the ground from a distance, God calls to Moses, says, come up the mountain. And he speaks to Moses and Moses now becomes the intercessor for the rest of the book. Moses becomes the prophet, the priest for Israel going up to God, coming down to the people. Maintaining relationship as Israel will not go up to the mountain unless they die. So Moses will on their behalf go back and forth from God. Bringing God essentially to Israel and, and essentially bringing Israel to God. There is a mediator. The people of God needed one. So that they could still maintain relationship. And here's my point. We need one as well. We are all broken because of sin. Therefore, we are not like God. God is set apart from us and we are set apart from God. God is holy and we are unholy. And we need someone to intercede on our behalf for God. And here is the greatest news of all. This is the mountaintop experience that you can have. You can experience the greatest mediator someone that God sent down from heaven, his own son, Jesus, who came down the mountain of heaven, stepped on earth and lived wholly set apart, fully obeying God's word. He shamed, he listened to all of God's command and lived as the holy nation that Israel couldn't, lived as the holy people that we could not. And as he stepped down the mountain, Jesus also went back up the mountain where he would walk up the mountain carrying a cross and Jesus would be placed on this cross willingly, sacrificially to die and to do what only Jesus, the son of God, could do, be the atoning sacrifice for everyone's sins in the whole world. That whosoever believes in him wouldn't perish but could have eternal life. And Jesus, doing only what Jesus could do, paid for it in full. And God, after three days, allowing Jesus to lay dead in a tomb, breathes him back into life, bursting forth the gates of death. And Jesus, what does he do then? After defeating death, allowing people to believe in him, have forgiveness and have hope after death, that death is now defeated. God, Jesus ascends back up to God where he remains as an eternal mediator and intercessor for anyone who believes in him. This is the greatest mountaintop moment you can ever experience in your life the moment that happened on the mountain around 2,000 years ago. Jesus dying on a mountain. And this was the way that God prepared for all to experience relationship with him. This is how a holy God has relationship with an unholy people by allowing Jesus to be treated as unholy so that we could be treated as holy. It's the greatest exchange. It doesn't make sense. It's grace. It's undeserved favor. This is the love of the Father. In his great greatness, pouring out his wrath on the cross, we see his great grace in Jesus Christ. So what do we do? What do we do with this? This mountaintop moment that we see Israel having, this mountaintop moment that we see in Christ, seeing a holy God, having relationship with an unholy people through great grace and a mediator, what do we do now today? Just two things, I think, and then I'll be done. First is this. I think we need to rethink our relationship with God. First, I've asked this question so many times, have you had a mountaintop moment like this? Not talking about hype lights and Smoke machines and flashing goosebumps when Brandon sings, you know. Have you had a mountaintop moment where you have seen God's holiness and your unholiness? Knowing that there is a gap that you cannot cross. It's a mountain you cannot get up. Someone had to do it for you. Have you had a moment like that? And if you have not experienced a moment like this, There is coming a day where you will, where you will, as an unholy person, come face to face with a holy God. And you will not stand firm, you will not stand confident, but all of your sin will be exposed at once. And in the presence of God, there can be no sin, and you will forever be separated from God eternally that moment of coming face-to-face with God is coming for everyone. Do you have confidence in Christ as your mediator? Have you placed your faith in him as the one who stood in the gap taking your sin? Or do you stand shuddering with your knees shaking as you should? If you are in Christ, if, that is, if Christ is your mediator, you have placed your faith with him, you've had that mountaintop moment experience in the cross and you've had that experience, I think we also need to rethink our relationship with God. Here's what I mean by that. What God said is true of Israel, if they completely obey, that they would be their prized possession. This is true of you in Christ. If you've placed your faith in Christ, know this, God looks at you not as a sinner. God doesn't look at you ashamed of you, disappointed in you, As someone who is unaccepted, who needs to just, you know, clean themselves up and purify themselves for three days before they can step into his presence. If you are in Christ, God views you as righteous. And so I want you to to even rethink your relationship as this, not as like, oh, a holy puffed up person, but as someone who is unholy, undeserving, but because of the gospel, because of Jesus Christ, you have become righteous in him. So we humbly yet boldly approach the throne of of God. So this is what this means. If you rethink your relationship with God tomorrow morning, know this, go to God, spend some time with him, read your Bible, pray. and, And here's what I want you to think. God isn't mad that you haven't done it. God isn't disappointed that you haven't spent time with him in the last week. He is like, like, a, like a groom who sees his bride and they turn the corner and his face just lights up. This is God's posture to you tomorrow and every day with new mercy and new grace for who those are in Christ. Rethink your relationship with God knowing that you are viewed as he views his own son, Jesus. What a beautiful mystery of the gospel is. That we get to enter into God's presence with boldness? How? It's the gospel. It's beautiful. It's Jesus. Run to him. He's wanting to, to receive you with open arms. Number two. First one, rethink your relationship with God. Second, remember your purpose as his people. Flipping all the way back to the beginning. It says this, if you carefully... Listen to me, I will make you a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. This is still our purpose in our relationship with God, that God has rescued us and has brought us into relationship. And the purpose of that, yes, is yes, is absolutely God's glory. But the way that God gets even more glory from just relationship with you is that your relationship with him begins to overflow into every person around you and others are pointed back to have a relationship with him. In the same way that Israel was supposed to serve as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, pointing people to have a relationship with God, That's your relationship with God too. Remember your purpose. Paul sums it up like this in uh, Philippians 1.26. He says, yes, like you've been saved. And then he says this, live worthy of the gospel that you've been called to. You have been called by grace through faith to himself. Now live worthy, live holy, live set apart so that others would see your relationship with God and be drawn to it. It's like a moth to a light. The dark world will see the beauty of the relationship that you have with God by grace, where you are accepted and you are walking in purity and holiness set apart, and they will see that and desire it. And God, through your relationship with him, will bring others into relationship with him as well. We say it a lot. It's all coming like this. The gospel came to you on its way to someone else. God rescued Israel because he was on his way to rescuing the whole world. I believe with my whole heart, genuinely, God wants to meet with his people. I believe God wants to meet with us. I believe God desires for us to draw near to his presence today as a community set apart as salt, as light. God wants to draw us to himself for us to become who we already are in Christ. I believe he wants us to have another mountaintop moment experience with God, to see his greatness and to see his great grace. I remember in my little camping excursion, a moment when it was freezing cold and there was ice on the ground and we peek and we would see our boots that we hiked in covered in ice. And I remember just begging for the light to come. And I remember when it did, as we're sitting in our tent and darkness began to lift and the sun came up, exposing all of the darkness beginning to melt the ice. Something like the sun with so much power. If you were to get close to it, you would burn up, you would die. And yet, in right relationship to it, has the power to bring joy and hope and warmth. God is far greater than the sun. And we must have right relationship with a holy, glorious God. And when we do, it brings hope and joy and warmth. We experience God's greatness. Oh, but, but we also experience his great grace. God's inviting us into that moment to experience him again day after day. Let's pray. Father, we... Uh, yeah, I'll be honest. I think sometimes I just... I walk into church into this little fellowship hall. And I do no preparation to meet with you. I just walk in, find my seat, thinking about what I'm having for lunch. And I forget that in a moment we are entering into the very presence where God is. God, so much I underestimate your holiness, underestimate your greatness, and I overestimate my righteousness. God, may I never forget how holy you are and how unholy I am. And God, may I never forget the gospel, the good news that Jesus came dying in my place. And the only way that I can have hope after this life It's because I've put my faith in a mediator, someone who has come down and gone back up the mountain to die in my place. And now, God, I get to walk into this room and experience joy and grace and hope and the warmth of your holiness, not because of anything I've done, but only because of what Christ has done on my behalf. May I never forget that, Jesus. Would someone in this room today who is feeling like they've never had this moment before, God, would you shake them to their very core right now? And I pray something very strange. Would they see how holy you are and see how unholy they are? Not because you want them to perish, because you want them to experience your presence. You want them to see Jesus for who he is their only hope, their mediator, would they experience that today? Would they experience what it's like to be their prized possession, loved by God, set apart for a purpose? Would we all become, in Christ, holy people with a holy purpose, experiencing a holy God? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.